real life, hoarding a bunch of data for data's sake tends to cause more problems than it solves. We want to put that data to work. And making data work for us means collecting it on purpose and with purpose. Today, Dr. Cassie jams on an Oxford study revealing how to get more of what we want by learning more about ourselves. We can call this self-awareness. People that improved their self-awareness increase their impact in social, familial, and work environments, boost their incomes, improve their fitness, lose way more fat, and report having more satisfying lives. Let's get some of that. Roll the intro! Good morning, everybody. I am all jazzed up today. I am super excited. Good morning. And welcome to today's episode of Coffee with Cashy. And I am your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy, with my Coke Zero Vanilla flavored coffee, soda, soda-based coffee substitute. Uh, <clears throat> and we're talking about something super cool today. Talking about strengthening your connection between knowledge and action, doing some reviewing some some science and some some studious studies from Oxford Oxford University and uh, a little bit of background here uh, I'm going to say that keeping tabs on yourself keeping tabs on yourself uh, disclaimer though with like the types of tabs and the tabulate and all that other stuff anyway uh, leads to keeping tabs on yourself measuring what you do uh, leads to more productivity uh, it, it increases indirect markers of quality of life and happiness and income higher levels of fitness and faster more permanent fat loss okay that stuff has been established in one way or another empirically uh, anecdotally academically and all the allies you can think of in all the ologies all right to some degree though i, I think this is intuitive in fact, it's actually part of my mantra, the so-called cashy method, right? Gather information, learn stuff, and use the stuff you learn to learn more stuff. That is the intuitive nature of measurement and self-monitoring, okay? And when you work with me, you know this mantra is, is applied to self right? As much as it's applied to investing in stocks, uh, taking medicine, parenting, training animals. Uh, if you differentiate from parenting or training animals, that is questionable sometimes, okay? Although there is some level of intuition involved with like, okay, if I measure, then I do this, right? There's some level of intuition. Uh, how you do something and the reasons behind doing it anecdotally at least, give you a calculable edge when compared to people that do things absent-mindedly. So I'll repeat that. Although there is some level of intuition involved with measurement and action, how you do something and the reasons behind it give you a calculable edge when compared to people that do things absent-mindedly versus like measuring for the sake of measuring or measuring with a purpose, okay? Some people are hoarders, for instance. They love data. They love measuring stuff. It makes them feel in control. And well, out of context, it's all fascinating stuff. All this data and numbers and measurements and, and, and journals, right? What's my blood sugar here? What's my heart rate there? What phase of sleep am I in? Is there any benefit to collecting data for the sake of collecting it? My bias? Eh. Eh. At least in a microenvironment personal level? No, not really. There is limited practical application. Do, I, I do think you can see positive results on accident. 
Okay, I do think you can see positive results on accident through subconscious gains in behavioral awareness, behavioral self-awareness. Seeing results on purpose though, eh, it turns out as luck would have it, you have to measure things on purpose and with purpose. And the anecdotal and empirical evidence we've seen, that I've seen with what I do, and in the journals that I look into and contribute in, uh, is that it is becoming increasingly validated in a systemic way, okay? The, the contribution of measurement and action and knowledge and intercalating all those things. That's a fancy way of saying that, yes, scientists already know that measurement and actions and outcomes are associated, <laughs> at least in the terms of uh, learning new skills and changing your body, things of that nature. But what's important is having a mechanistic understanding of these phenomena. So knowing that they're related is different than knowing uh, the mechanism behind it. And that's a fancy way of saying the result should always be duh, should always be duh. If you read a headline and you, you see like, oh, you know, French fries are bad for you. You know, you would say duh, right? Um, but scientists, they look for the mechanism behind the duh. The duh is already no, right? <laughs> uh, trying to figure out how we got there. So if you figure out how the scientists got there, then you go from duh to, oh, neat. That's where the science is. And <laughs> uh, a small scale controlled trial at Oxford may give you perspective on how to maximize your self-monitoring. So here is Dr. Cashy's heavily confirmation biased, cherry picked interpretation of that, those studies, okay? So this group at Oxford instructed a group of people with irregular or no self-monitoring behaviors to record what they think as they weighed themselves every day. And there's evidence to suggest that keeping track of things like body weight does spontaneously cause weight loss through slight changes in behavior through an uptick in self-awareness. Uh, there's some evidence to support that. What the Oxford group found was what people were thinking while they weighed themselves influenced the total amount of weight loss over X period of time in daily weigh-ins. So even though on average people may have lost very little, there's always a subsection of people who respond exceedingly well to absent, what would appear to be absent-minded self-monitoring behaviors. And so this group thought, well, maybe what they're thinking is a little bit different. And so when they segmented the groups of people, the, there's groups of people that saw no difference, groups of people that saw a tiny difference, and then a very, very tiny group of people that saw a massive difference with self-monitoring. What is the difference between those groups? And so a huge fraction had no self-regulatory behaviors associated with weighing. Things like, what does this number mean? Oh, that's neat. Or, hey, a number. Or, hey, I hate this. <laughs> right? These are thoughts that are associated with self-monitoring, but are really disconnected from any sort of uh, cognitive behavioral change. Okay? And then a moderate fraction of people who had some spontaneous loss, they had general feelings around self-regulation and weighing themselves. Like, oh, I should do something about this. Or, oh, this reminded me to do this other thing, right? So they got on the scale, they saw the number, they associated the number on a trend, and then that gave them some generic idea like, oh, maybe I should change my behavior, okay? And then a tiny, tiny fraction of the subjects, they had used that information to generate plans on their own, okay? So weigh themselves and say, now that I've done this, I can put on my shoes and go for a nice walk. Or, oh, I'll pack my lunch today. And so they connected the self-monitoring behavior with another behavior that, that promotes general healthfulness. And this is translated uh, across all sorts of walks of life. And here, I think, uh, is very interesting. 
And so again, a tiny fraction of the people use this self-monitoring behavior autonomously and independently as a means of linking information to action. Even if the actions were generally vague or misguided, uh, they still linked the measurement to action, and that association led to tremendous results in comparison to people who just collected data for the sake of collecting it, okay? And then the Oxford group went, hmm, that's interesting. And so they did even more science, which is what scientists do, my favorite, okay? What if we took the thought patterns of that tiny fraction of people that had spontaneously and accidentally lost weight, uh, and had a system or tried to systemize the implantation of those thought patterns on purpose. So what was going on with that tiny fraction of people that accidentally lost a, a, a significant amount of poundage, taking what they were thinking and how they made decisions and then turning that into a system and implanting it in people on purpose, okay? And it fueled the logic of their follow-up experiments to facilitate self-regulation. And what the primary objective was of this is to test whether or not priming people to connect to daily weighing or daily self-monitoring with other self-regulatory measures sped up fat loss relative to the previous experiment, which was just having people weigh themselves and then record their thoughts, right? And they instructed the subjects to perform the following ritual. One, to contextualize the numbers. Having an understanding of the measurements, or trying to, they recorded their weight on a graph, and seeing the line forming promotes adherence to daily weigh-ins. So if you just take a number and then record it somewhere and send it off, but each number each day is independent of each number each day, then adherence to that behavior goes down. But if you weigh yourself and put it on a chart and see the trending, well then the adherence to that behavior actually goes up because you see a story unfolding, okay? And the theory there is that it would also strengthen the self-regulatory association. So if you relate weighing yourself to some other healthful behavior, well, if you increase the adherence to weighing yourself, then you would indirectly increase the adherence to this other health-promoting behavior. I hope that makes sense. So they had contextualizing the data, and then they had reflecting. And so on a weekly basis, they would look back and see how their behaviors impacted changes in scale weight. And a really fun thing about this is that since subjects had an absolutely horrible time interpreting daily scale weight changes, it's a hugely confounding factor in success, right? A lot of people see big scale weight fluctuations and, and really may have slight panics or kind of freak out, or it, it changes the way they think and what they do because it's difficult to interpret what's going on, which is why, you know, with the clients that I work with, there's a huge emphasis on, on interpreting the data in a helpful way <laughs> versus leaving, throwing people to the wolves like this group did. But you can only test few, so many things at a time, right? And then the third part was action planning, which is directed goal setting to keep adherence higher, okay? And each day, picking one behavior from a list of, huge list of behaviors, like 50-something, 60, uh, and autonomy of choice is good. And the list, they like, so I get on the scale, Right, and then I record the number, and then I look at this list of things I can do, and I could pick one of those things. And each one of those things was supposedly health promoting. Okay, now I'll be I'll be straight with you here. Uh, even though the autonomy of choice is pretty good, the list by and large was absolutely horrible. And so sharing that is a something that I'm going to avoid on purpose. You can be mad at me about that. That's okay. Okay, but what I can tell you is that the behaviors were scattered about seven categories, and again, the list by and large was bad. However, I will give you. What I feel is a great example of a self-regulatory habit from each of the categories. Why? Because I use them and they work and I know they work. <laughs> I have my own data to support uh, these lists of behaviors because the behaviors that they came up with were relatively random and congealed to me. Okay, so I'm going to pull from behaviors that I use with clients every day and ones that I know are health promoting.
and promote results, okay? And also, as another disclaimer, I modified the names of the categories to, to terms that I liked better, <laughs> to, to terms that I use for obvious reasons, okay? So one category they had was meal patterns. This would be like keeping a food journal and eating at regular times. They had meal rituals, which would be a calm eating environment and to eat while sitting at a table. Volumetric eating, which is swapping starch for veggies or, or fatty meat for leaner meat. Uh, purposeful eating, which would be, again, eating at regular times with regular plates, regular silverware, and replacing junk foods with fruits and vegetables, things of that nature. A purposeful drinking, which would be something like water before meals and, and swapping from sugary drinks. Then there's passive activity which is like using a standing desk, like what I'm doing now, oh, taking walks during meetings or, or pacing on the phone. And then last but not least, there's active activity, which would be, you know, take a class, hit 10,000 steps a day, followed a, a structured weight training workout for that day. So here's seven different categories. And, you know, there's, you know, between six and 10 different behaviors in each one of those categories. So you'd get on the scale and just pick one and do one of them that day. Uh, they could change whatever they wanted to work on that day, and it gave them some flexibility, which is sweet, depending on how they felt or how the day was structured. That's the behavior that they would choose for that day. And what I think the purpose was is that over time, even though you're only picking one of these behaviors every day, that over the long term, you would slowly start incorporating more and more of these behaviors habitually, while, ev while, while even though you're only actively working on one. So a lot, of, a lot of coaches will say, well, let's focus on one behavior, master that, and then we'll move on to the next one. And they're taking a different approach saying, well, just choose a different behavior every day. Pick one that you think will, will help you the most that day. And then over time, you get your reps in for all of them and you slowly start to incorporate the ones that you like and work for you. And so worst case with good adherence, there's a short list of daily health promoting behaviors. <laughs> and the best case with good adherence is that you now have a long list of daily health promoting behaviors. Either way, it's a tool belt of tools that you customize for yourself. Extremely important. And so over the eight-week trial, the group that was measuring on purpose, with purpose, and tying it to a self-regulatory behavior, they lost seven more pounds over that eight-week period than people in the control group. Seven pounds in eight weeks, honestly, on its own is really good, and they lost seven more pounds. That's pretty dang good. Now, these people were pretty big to begin with, but the whole point is that like this made a real, this is a clinically and significantly and practically relevant difference, okay? versus weighing yourself just because, right? And then only a super tiny fraction of people end up making progress because they already have the background or the innate capacity to connect it to self-regulatory behaviors. Because any of these behaviors on the list, on their own, they would amount to little or nothing, right? But with this method, changing focus every day, but still focusing on something every day, it does have a compounding cognitive behavioral effect. It promoted autonomy and self-customized plans to boot. Very cool. Very cool. And by associating self-monitoring with a health-promoting behavior, you can create a positive thought, feeling, behavior feedback loop. Pretty freaking cool. <laughs> Habitualizing and automating all of these things that, well, from this list, you just choose what's interesting for you that day that you think is most relevant. And over time, you'll go through that list and just start incorporating them on your own, accidentally on purpose, as it were. <laughs> if week to week the data change trajectory, then, then this, the research subjects could employ their critical thinking skills to modify the behaviors they chose to focus on that week. Instead of just being generically frustrated because the scale was moving in the wrong way, by having a list of behaviors and then a trending data, they could look at that trending data and created a more neutral association with the measurement apparatus. 
they were able to use the scale, in other words, to get constructive feedback on the behaviors they chose the previous week to modify the behaviors that they're choosing this week. Man, that's cool. <laughs> and again, it makes perfect sense, right? Duh. And if the result of a scientific study is duh, well, then that's kind of how you know the study is good, you know? <laughs> Just to be clear, that's one of the rules of thumb I have anyway. So think about this the next time you think about changing your behavior to make yourself better. So I, here, here are my amazing steps to this on the trust sealed whiteboard. Look at these steps. So number one, measure a thing. Step two, connect the outcome. Connect, connect the measurement to the outcome. Connect an outcome to that thing. So step one, measure a thing. Step two, connect an outcome to that thing you're measuring. Step three, link lots of do's to your measurement. So with the thing you're measuring, find a list of behaviors that impact that measurement. Okay? Then step four is, is do a do you like on the daily. So you pick a thing to measure, then you connect that measurement to an outcome, and then you link lots of behaviors to that measurement to know, well, if I do this or I do that, this measurement will change, okay? And so from that huge list to do a do you like on the daily, and last but not least, you end up doing all the do's that are doing it for you. And that settles that, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> so uh, again, in English here, what, what measurement tool are you using to keep track of your progress? What is the modest but effective behaviors that you can choose from and work on that day? And how are you taking that information and condensing it into useful feedback and guiding your next set of decisions? All great things to think about and implement. Now, I definitely understand these things can be overwhelming, okay? Ironically enough, uh, it looks like taking things one step at a time or baby steps is now Oxford approved, which is important, okay? You have to take this one step at a time thing serious. One thing per day, one step at a time, one, one, one. One is always the magic number for whatever reason, okay? Now, if you still need help gathering information and breaking it down and using it to craft a plan that works for you, let me know. Dr. Cashy is always here for you, you know? Actually, now that I think about it, um, I love this. So I read this and I was so super fascinated. I loved it. Uh, seldom am I impressed with stuff like this, but I am impressed and I love it. Uh, I, I actually want to make a whole program around this methodology, I think. Something like that. It'll take me a few days to whip up. Uh, but if you want it, make sure to let me know. Comment and let me know and badge me however you'd like preferably below. <laughs> Again, it'll take me a few days to whip up, but I think I can make something pretty cool here and I would love to give it to you. I just need to know if you want it, okay? Even if you're, even if you're getting this way after I make it, okay? If you're listening to this or hearing this, reading this way after I make it, that's fine. Dr. Cashy will still take care of you. Just make sure to let me know, right? That, that ends my rant today on strengthening the connection between knowledge and action. I love you all. You're freaking awesome. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>